we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so that organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Veris Age Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, by popular demand and vote, we are going to talk about organizational change management. Hey, Ed. Hey, Ron. How, how are you? I'm sick of COVID-19 and I don't have it. Uh, I know. I, th- I think the hysteria is worse than the actual virus, but uh, we can tackle that on the bonus episode. Yeah. Hey, we have a, a great guest. I'm really honored. My colleague from Armanino, Nicole Ripley. She's a senior manager technology in technology consulting. She is the cert- certified project manage, uh, management and change management professional. She lives in Austin, Texas. She's got a business degree from Concordia University in Austin, Texas, with an emphasis in human resources. Nicole, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thank you. Happy afternoon. You too. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you because this is a popular topic. Our listeners are very interested in it. We're interested in it. And I, I was talking to Ed last week. I said, you know, this is not really my area of expertise but I'm, I just met somebody at Armanino who knows all about this. And so I reached out to you and I was just thrilled you were able to do it. So I've got to ask you before we kind of dive into the change management process, what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? How, how'd you get into this? How did I get into change management? Yeah. Oh, it's been a, it's been a journey. Um, and I think part of it was a journey to find myself. That sounds um, kind of weird, but I started off, you know, strong finance background, strong analytical skills. Um, my teacher really wanted me to get into auditing because uh, I was good at it. And so I took that strength and I always wanted to be, you know, kind of um, a leader, whether it was a business owner or whatever it was. And so I strategically was like, oh, well, what do I need? So I thought I needed a business degree. Um, and then I thought, well, to run a good business, it's not just about having good business sense. I need to be good with people. So then I got into the HR aspect. And I think that's where I really truly started to migrate from kind of this process technology mindset um, and applying that to, to, to kind of be in more of a people-minded person. And I found it really funny because – I went into project management um, again because it just seemed a natural skill set. But what I was noticing is even though I could be a stellar project manager and you can have stellar leadership um, without really diving into the people side, you still have projects that fail. And I I don't like to fail. I know others don't, but I really don't like to fail. Um, And so I started to research and change management was just that aha this is it. This is kind of exactly where I was being led to. Um, and it's been great. 
That's fantastic. And you've got, and you worked in marketing as well. And who was that with? Was it like a marketing agency or for a corporation? That's actually an interesting one. So I worked at an education agency. And so we were kind of an arm of TEA, which is um, an education agency out here in Texas. And it was almost like an, an inter-agency um, marketing group where we, we did work internally. So we did video, um, product development, instructional materials, um, and communications in general, just how to communicate with our clients, with our, with our school districts, and, and then helping to support our internal staff to be better leaders, to be better facilitators. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, we're really big fans of marketing here. We think it's one of the <laughs> one of the essential, uh, you know, functions of any business is is marketing. Uh, so that's that's great. And when did you join Armenino? I joined actually just a little over a year ago. Uh, January January twenty first was uh, my first day last year. Okay, I came in in April. Of 18 so not, not too far in front of you but uh yeah it, it, it's a great firm so i would imagine that uh, you're, you're having a good time so far absolutely yeah they were definitely um it's been i've learned a lot um but they they're just an organization that wants to learn a lot as well from each other um and kind of helping to put people in a place that that utilizes their strengths and their passions. And so I just, I, I had the huge opportunity to, to help out and kind of get the OCM um, practice started. And it's just been, it's just been great. Uh, very appreciative of that. Yeah. It, you know, it's always been an innovative firm. I've always, I've, I've known Andy for a long time and just always admired his pioneering spirit, just, the innovation. It's a young firm, young partner group, and uh, and and Matt's just carrying on that tradition. So it's it's really a great group to be involved with. Yeah, I think the innovative part is is thinking outside of the, you know, hey, we're going to deliver this implementation, this this service, but that what differentiates us now, I think, as a firm, is that they see that OCM is is a successful component of that. Um, not just something to think about, but they really want it to be kind of matching what they're doing. Um, and you don't see a lot of organizations that do that. So kind of proud of, of the team that, that thought through, you know, the importance of bringing that as, as a service portion to what we want to provide to our clients. Right. Because I think it's really leading edge and something that a lot of organizations would probably love to build a core competency around, I mean, I can imagine what a competitive advantage it would be if you had a competency in change management. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually one of my biggest uh, goals is is beyond the projects that I work on. My hope is that that when I leave, it is that they have grown their internal core competency so that they are a change ready culture, so that they can go through the next transformation. Um, differently, easier, um, and, and with like some more excitement and deal and just that they continue to grow, um, the desire to, you know, continuously improve and, and build out, you know, 
the next the next level of of leadership and change management uh, leads. So Nicole, Ed Ed is also a certified project manager. So I, I know you two are going to really probably get into that, and my <laughs> eyes are going to glaze over. But just just to kind of kick this off, I, I found it fascinating reading some of your material. You cite McKinsey, Bain, Gartner, and Harvard Business Review that 60 to 70% of projects fail because the people side of change is not considered and preparations are not in place to help individuals succeed in making the shift. That's, that's an astonishing statistic. It really is. It really is. Um, and what's funny is unless you put that in piece, because uh, there's those statistics out there, but a lot of times they're not that that trailing sentence about why they fail is not out there right. or executives who are thinking about changing um, their transformation stack or, you know, how they do things. They think they know because those those statistics are out there. They know. And so all they grab onto is, you know, most projects of this size, they fail. Um, so I'm not going to try. But if they finished, you know, kind of doing their research, they would see there is a solution, right? There is a way that your projects can actually succeed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's it's through, you know, change management. Right. Because I guess, and, and I wanted just to get your attitude on this philosophically, it's not really organizations that change, is it? It's the people in them mm-hmm. that change. Is yes. That- yes. I mean, so the, like you say, this is a people journey and, and that's a big part of it because getting people to change their behavior mindset, that's not easy in, in a lot of cases, I would imagine. No. And I think, you know, a lot of times leaders, they're, they're high level. They think this makes sense. They, they think, well, we want to be efficient and this is going to bring that. And it's, a simple, you know, it's just a simple technology change or um, they don't understand kind of the, the day-to-day lives of the people who are in the current system. And so what feels like a nudge to leadership, right? They're just like, oh, this is just a slight nudge to others. It actually feels like life changing. Um, it's fearful. It's, it's um, something that they don't know what to do about. And so it is, it's very much organizations actually don't change or aren't the, they aren't the catalyst for change. It's the people. Right. And getting people to change their beliefs, mindsets, behaviors. It's, it's a really challenging task. We've got this uh, thing in Verisage affectionately known as the effing debate, which is the difference between efficiency and effectiveness. And mm-hmm. while we can be efficient with things, we have to be effective with people mm-hmm. and that's part of the challenge with this because like you said, a lot of leaders will look at this just as, oh, it's upgrading the technology. This will be far more efficient. But even if it's more efficient, that doesn't necessarily make it more effective from a, from a human element. And that, that's a huge, huge gap, I think, in understanding <clears throat> this difference between efficiency and effectiveness. It is, but if you think about how a leadership might, they might look at it. If you think about, oh, I now have to take into account these humans, these squishy humans that I have. There's, you know, the humans that have it, the behaviors, um, those are all different per person. And so for a leader, 
it could be daunting to say, well, how am I going to do this? Because obviously it's not going to be a one size fits all. Um, I'm going to have to deploy multiple different techniques and, and um, people and a network of people that have, you know, um, empathy and compassion and other ways to kind of lead people. And so sometimes even that is more daunting to them than maybe the massive digital transformation that they're about to get to. Right. I, I think one of the things we'll probably dive more into and Ed might even bring this up with you in the next segment, because I think this is another fascinating statistic that you cite that an organization is six times more likely to meet or exceed project goals with effective change management. And I, I want to ask you to kind of, you know, prove it. <laughs> and, and has that been your experience with the organizations that you've guided through these transformations? But unfortunately, Nicole, we're up against our first break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to reach out to me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Go out to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. Give our show a rating, good, bad, or indifferent. We'll read it on the air. And we will post full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com with our interview with Nicole Ripley today. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and thank you to our audience for helping us select the topic of today's show. And we are honored to have Nicole Ripley from Armanino, our on organizational change management. And I'm going to have you back up a second, Nicole, here, and let's let's uh, talk a little little shop here. Could you mm -hmm. define what you mean by change management? 
What I would say change management. Change management is about um, the managing uh, the people side of organizational um, changes. It's um, handling and, and preparing and supporting um, the mindset shifts and the, the behaviors and the habits that need to shift from leadership on down to, you know, some of the, your end users um, to help support them through uh, some of the, the changes that are going to happen and making sure that organizations think through all the little details that, that sometimes don't get caught or discussed in just a regular implementation through project management. Yeah, and I guess as as contrasted to the technical side of the engagement, right? That that that's the 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 classic differences that you're talking here, focusing on the people rather than the technology side. Exactly. Yeah, because you know a lot of times um, there's this thing. I it's I say it a lot, which is technology alone cannot drive change, and it's true. It's because it's the people that actually drive the change, and they're just employing uh, technology as a component. And, and if you think about it that way, that changes the dynamic of how you think about your technology project, right? It almost becomes a people project uh, with a technology uh, piece in there. Yeah, and I think there's also a piece because when I was learning project management way back when, ch- change management had, its, had, had a second definition, which was the process of managing change requests and change orders through the system. And while there is a change management component to that, I think that there's that there's been a break uh, since since I learned project management toward this notion of change management as what I used to call transition, actually, because I the, the way I explained it to my customers is that was the change was the physical nature, but transition was the emotional response of the people to the physical change. And. I've often said that, there, for example, my the implementations that I would do is usually changing one accounting system to the other. There was really no physical reason from a technology standpoint why I can't go over the weekend come in and change your system. For the most part, exactly. the technology exists to be able to do that. But yep. the, what it really was the fact is that the people couldn't adjust their emotional systems to the physical system in such a short period of time. And that was really the issue. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I've, I, I so wish that we could change the name um, from change management to something else um, because there is. There's the technology change management, and there's actually um, a discipline around that too and a process and structure, but that's the process and technology piece, like what you were saying, um, the human side of it. If we could take out change management, change, because change is what actually triggers people. Um, and what we're trying to do is not change people, right? The, the OCM that we're talking about is helping to support the people shifting and transitioning and evolving. Um, and so saying change, it almost instantly puts them in a place of, um, that we don't want them to be, but you know, it's what would we call it? Um, but that's, that's one of the things that I've had to focus on too, especially when I talk to clients about it, there are some, especially it people. Um, and project management people who have been around and know change management in the way you were talking, which is the technology process, defining changes um, from a, a system standpoint. And I have to go in and say, okay, that's not the, that's not the change management we're talking about. And I just bring up, you know, and help them see the delineation between that and the human portion. Yeah, I had, I had wished that 
that the phrase that I had used, and I forget who I latched on to this was, but I called a transition and made that delineation between those. So that that's it to me. It's a it's a better phrase just because it doesn't have the additional baggage. But but let's yeah. talk about this because so let's let let's get specifically to what you know o- OCM or what I I would call transition, and let's talk about some of the the the, the techniques. I wh- one of the things that I think is fascinating about this subject is oftentimes you as a as an organizational change management person are probably brought in too late into the process. Am I correct about that? Yes, that is the elephant in the room. Uh, yes, that is true. <laughs> And so, so then this, this becomes, it almost becomes a meta thing, right? Is like, you now have to go through <laughs> this notion of change management about change management for people. And it's, it's extraordinarily difficult. So what, what are the first couple of steps that you do? Let's assume what is, let's, let's call it normal, but not correct. And that is you're in a situation where the, the implementation has gone sideways. It's mostly due to, as We've talked about this emotional response of the people, and now you're in medias race. You're in the middle of things. What do what do you, what do you do to try to extract yourself from that? Because well, I guess it's stop digging first, right? Yeah, and I have the the fortune of I I do get into projects slightly before that. Um, it's usually around the same time that they are kicking off. Um, but what I do is try to get leaders in a room. Um, to really talk about and dig through what is changing. Um, And then when they can finally see piece by piece what is changing, then I make them talk about the the reality of what what that means to the people. Um, And it can mean different things, right? It could be a financial impact, a job impact, um, a skill set impact. But I make them dig into because they need to know their people. and because that's where it starts to go sideways. Um, and so I kind of have them go through and talk about, like, you really have to have um, leaders who are willing to talk about the risks before a project gets started um, or as it's getting started and identify those and choose, right, to, to own them and to mitigate them. And there's people, a, a big portion of those, you know, when we look at those risk registers, a big portion is people, or should be if you're looking at it the right way. It's the people risks. Um, and those are the ones that are going to guide you through how are you going to get to the next step uh, when things go wayward because it's typically the people person or, or the people side that, that makes it go wayward. Um, and I make them think about you have to have a strategy not just for your project. That's easy. Um, it's You have to have a strategy uh, and a leadership commitment to what you're going to do with your stakeholders, right? To support them. Are you going to, are you going to provide training? Are you going to ensure them that their job is not going to go away, that you're actually going to open up opportunities for them to grow since their job is technically going to be cut in half because of efficiencies. There has to be a plan in place. And without that plan, your people are going to constantly bring up um, issues and be resistant because you have not satisfied their core needs of knowing that once this change is done, there's nothing to fear. Right. And you brought brought up an interesting concept there, this, this notion of resistance, which is something near and dear to my heart. I've I've taught a couple of classes on this. And so one of the best ways that I've, I've found to, to, um, 
when you encounter resistance is, is not is not to try to oppose it. I think that the the mistake that people make is they they try to push past it with with an equal amount of force <laughs> against the resistance. And yes. all all that does is create additional resistance. The exercise I have people do is, you know, put your put your hands in front of you and just press as hard as you can with both hands and you go nowhere. And if you're meeting resistance with equal and opposite resistance, you're not getting anywhere. What you've got to, got to try to do is, is, as you mentioned, get people to talk about it. They, they, it really is, a, in a way, a business psychology. It very much is. Um, I've actually had clients ask me if I went to, if I had a psychology degree, uh, which I don't. Um, but yeah, when it comes to that resistance, uh, it's, it's easy for leaders to go to a place of this person is a problem, right? The resistance is a problem. And what I try to have them do, and I, and I say it, you know, um, boldly, is that, you no, know, these, these people are not problems. They're people. And the resistance is simply a need or set of needs that we have as leaders not surfaced yet and we have not resolved yet. And so what it is is it's opportunities for us to solve those needs for them. Um, so then we become in control of, you know, fixing that, that resistance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's uh, what is called the presenting, the axiom of the presenting problem, right? The, pro- the problem that, that manifests itself, what, what the, the people come to the engagement with and what they say is the problem is really usually not the problem. There's something else exactly. underlying behind it. And mm-hmm. what's funny is, is that they, they blame the technology often, not always, but oftentimes they blame the technology. The synchronization isn't happening properly or it, it, the system isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. And that's, that's how it manifests itself. But the reality is, is that there, there's an underscoring of fear that, well, if this system changes, I might lose my job or whatever. And we get, you've got to get to that. And I think the big thing that technologists miss or people who have been trained, especially in technology is they just keep answering the question over and over again about how to fix the technology. In the same and way. You get, yes. you, and yeah. It just, what are you stupid? You don't understand. This is the fourth time I've explained it to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's that it's relationship management, right? It's like, mm. you know, uh, you can ask me how I'm doing and I can say, okay, well, am I really okay? No. Or sometimes, you know, I'm going to use my child as an example. Um, there's times where she's like, are you mad at me? And it's like, I'm not, I'm actually worried, right? And there's worry or fear, but it's manifesting as, as being angry or upset. And we do that in the workplace too. And so, yes, we oftentimes, if we don't have the words um, or we don't actually have the self-awareness yet to know why am I mad? I just know I'm mad. The quickest thing you're going to latch onto is what's in front of you. So it's going to be your project or it's going to be the process that is changing and it's not working. Uh, and it takes a skilled group of people that can get past what's being said and look beyond that. Yeah, really so true. It's, it's ultimately, it's all about people, right? Nobody here but us people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we are up against our next break. Thank you so much, Nicole, for this. And I'll turn it back over to Ron after this. But we want to remind our listeners that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can see our previews to upcoming shows, as well as our archive page to all of our previous shows, which include on t- topics around uh, project management. But this is the first time we're talking about organizational change management and more on that topic after a word from our sponsor. 
The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about organizational change management with my Armanino colleague, Nicole Ripley. And Nicole, I, I think the theme I'm taking away is this is really p- about people, not so much organizations. It's really about people when you get right down to it. But I kind of want to go back to where we ended on the first segment about that. You cite the statistic, you know, that an organization is six times more likely to meet or exceed project goals if they have OCM in place. And, and you also say that the most successful OCM initiatives begin before the project starts. So I'd love for you to unpack that six times statistic. There's got to be a lot involved in that to, to, ha- to set this up successfully so you can achieve something like that magnitude of improvement. Can you unpack that process a bit and tell us maybe about an experience with an organization where you've achieved that six times effectiveness? Yeah, definitely. Um, and just um, for everyone's awareness, that, that statistic is from ProSci. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the most important words within that sentence are effective change management, right? So they're more likely to exceed project goals with effective. And so what does effective change management mean? It's, a, it's kind of a laundry list of things that have to happen um, before a project starts and throughout, and then even once the project wraps up. And so, you know, that's from a leadership standpoint, um, you know, you have to have leadership who understands the true scope and vision of the project. Um, the, the leadership has to go through and evaluate and, and get to a place where they are ready. The organization is ready and the people are ready. Um, and then you have to have a really comprehensive communication plan. 
Um, and then you, you know, then you get to the, to the actual people, right? You have to have stakeholders who are truly engaged. Um, you, you need to go through, you know, the new business um, processes that are going to be, that are going to be implemented. Those engaged stakeholders need to participate and, and adopt those and, and want to refine and work in them. Um, and then you have to develop supporting materials because if you're changing technology and you're changing your processes, you also need to create new, um, new job descriptions, new work instructions um, to make sure that you follow through with, you know, everything that's going to be evolving um, so that you support the people that are going to have to do these things. Um, and then sometimes it means, you know, there's going to be a new organizational model that comes about um, because there's new departments or departments are shrinking, consolidated. Um, you've got to communicate out those changes. Um, and many times with these, with these organizations, they're going through, going from a kind of an old system to a new system. And so their internal controls are going to have to be, you know, updated. Um, and that means that policies and procedures are going to have to be updated. Um, and then HR, a lot of times I tell, you know, people, that HR should be part of your OCM team because many of these digital transformations require um, jobs to be designed uh, differently. Um, there's going to have to be like a competency change. Um, what they do day to day is going to change, which, you know, kind of changes like the equity of, you know, like salaries and, and bonus structures uh, have to be looked at. Um, and then you have to make sure that you have a proper learning and development plan for your people. Uh, that supports, you know, growing them into this new this new system so that they can run with it. Um, and then making sure that there's quality checks along the way uh, and, and keeping up with internal, you know, communication throughout the life of the project. So that's a laundry list of things that have to happen for it to be an effective uh, change management effort. And so, you know, that's six times more likely that, you know, we see that when somebody is able to apply that much attention and focus to their change management efforts. Um, so we get clients, it's, you know, it's a mixture of the ability to do that requires you to start before the project starts um, to really have an, an impact and, and to really be able to get closer to that statistic. Right. And do you find that's easier, Nicole, when there's an, you know, like obviously your outside consultant that they bring in, do you find projects more successful when there is an outside consultant brought into it to kind of guide and act as a Sherpa through this process? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, because, you know, when you're internal, um, you still have conflicting priorities that happen. It's not like it's, you know, usually OCM is not their day job. Um, they may be told, hey, this is something we want you to, it's an initiative we want you to head up and run. But, you know, if they don't have the skill set or capacity to do it, then it's going to fall short. Or they're going to, they have those internal biases um, and those internal pressures that can take away from how they're able to see the big picture of what needs to happen. And so, yeah, a lot of times, you know, bringing somebody from the outside to look at it differently is, is helpful, especially as you start to look at building your stakeholder um, management um, plan, like you're looking at the people. And so if you already have, um, not, I'm not going to say that they're bad biases, but you have interactions with these people already, uh, relationships. And so you 
almost already are at a place of um, judgment, right? You, you kind of think you know this person. You think you know what drives them or what will um, kind of help change them in, in the right direction. But you could be seeing it through a lens um, that's not completely clear. And so it's helpful to have somebody on the outside um, that's kind of removed from it. Right. Uh, dispassionate. Yeah. It, hard to see the label when you're inside the can type of thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, because you want them to make, sorry, you, you want them to make um, objective observations um, and get objective data versus subjective. And not, it's not like people purposely go to be subjective. It's just, like you were saying, when you're inside, um, you kind of can't see anything but the subjective um, that's right in front of you. Right, right. No, that's a good point. You know, we were talking at the break, and I was telling you, I just finished this book called Unlearn. And, I, and he kind of walked you through this process of this unlearning cycle. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on how you approach unlearning, because I, I got to believe it's a big part of this change management, especially at the people level. Uh, and one of the things is, do, do you change minds first to get changes in behavior or do you actually change their behavior and that will change their mind? Cause I've seen it work both ways, but I have to admit that changing behavior and that leads to the mindset change might be faster. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that is a tricky one. Um, I think when it comes to big big shifts that you want somebody to make internally, it's what do you what do you chew off first? And I think it's if you can just change your behaviors uh, ever so slightly, uh, it can snowball, right? And then eventually it does become a, a change in mindset. So you're right. I think being able to tackle the behaviors first, especially from an organization uh, and leadership, kind of looking at the behaviors um, and what's driving them can, can help you through kind of getting to a bigger, a bigger shift down the road um, from a mindset standpoint. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I think when we first spoke, uh, I sent you that backward bike video that Ed and I have been using mm -hmm. for years. I just absolutely love that. It just, it just shows you how it is kind of difficult <laughs> to, to, to unlearn something. You got to unlearn and then relearn something new and, um, that, that can be a challenge sometimes. Do well, yeah. Cause if you think about a mindset shift, that's, that's a big thing to unpack, but if it's a simple behavior, not simple, but if it's a behavior, you can, that's something small you can look into and you can ask diving questions that help somebody kind of look at themselves and go, Hmm, why do I have that? Like, or why is that habit existing and, and challenge them, but in, in a safe way using the right language, um, you can explore and, and get people excited to think, hmm, maybe if I change this behavior um, slightly, you know, and, and see it kind of gets them in this creative, um, almost, I don't know, observant standpoint of, well, let's just try it. Because it's simple, right? You can just, you can shift a behavior um, slightly just give them something to work towards that versus saying, Oh, you need to completely change your entire, you know, mindset, like how you think about things. That's, um, that's a hard, that's a hard one, but yeah, shifting behaviors is, is a lot easier to tackle. And when you're, when you're trying to put in a new system process, 
behavior, you know, there's kind of like this short U-shaped curve where there's going to be a drop in performance as they're making that that change, and then hopefully it's going to rise back up above mm-hmm. where they you know previously performed at. Kind of like learning a new software program, right? Hopefully, yeah, I'm going to fuddle around with it and be totally inefficient for a while, but then once I learn it, I'm going to get really good and I'm going to operate at a higher level. But Nicole, how do you deal with that dip? Because when you're in that dip, that's when people look at it and go, oh, we're not getting the ROI on this. We're not seeing this investment payoff. Let's just kill this whole program. How do you, how do you handle that? Actually, honestly, I start um, at the beginning of a project. I explicitly, and sometimes I draw it in, uh, on a whiteboard in my really um, old-fashioned way of drawing. Um, I draw that dip, and I tell them, quite frankly, that it's not something you can skip. Like, there is no drawbridge that, you know, I draw the, the little valley, right, of despair, and um, I tell them that, like, there's no launch pad. There's no way to shorten it. Um, you can't skip over it. It is going to happen. And it's going to happen for, you know, various reasons. But their change management effort is what's going to either make it to where it's not such a deep valley or um, that it's a valley that does not take as long to get out of. Um, and so when you set that expectations with leaders that, yes, people are going to go through um, some challenges that are going to cause them to, to slip into that dip and sometimes all the way down to the bottom. Um, but it's normal. And if you give people leadership, the knowledge of why those things are happening, um, that it's, it won't be as unexpected. And so when it's not unexpected, they're in a better place to proactively work through it um, with compassion for those people. Managing their expectations from the start. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's good. Uh, I, I love that. The Valley of Despair. I'm going to have to remember that. Uh, what organizations do you admire and think that, you know, they get OCM right? Um, that's a good one. I don't think that I have seen um, organizations yet that have, have really adopted it fully. Um, I think one of those things where seeing it internally, it's almost back in the day when as a PM, um, as a PM, I didn't see uh, organizations kind of eating or drinking their own Kool-Aid, right? I didn't see a PMO and it's like, well, we're selling PM work and we're, we're driving towards PM. So why do we not have a PMO? And so it's similar to organizations right now. I think there are organizations who are becoming more and more aware of this and I see job postings and I see companies that are embracing this change management thing where they think, yeah, I need to actually have this in-house. I need to develop a um, kind of a change management organization similar to what I did with my PMO. And that's great to see. And so I'm, I'm excited about the future of it because I am seeing it, it become more prevalent in how people know that they need to do business um, to grow. Um, as an organization. Right, right. No, and I, and I, see, your question. I see the same thing. I think it parallels the whole pricing movement. You know, we see more movement in pricing and people, you know, organizations trying to build up a pricing confidence. So 
That's fantastic. I, Nicole, this is just flying by. I told you this would be the fastest hour of your life, but we're already <laughs> up against our next break. And folks, if you want to contact Ed or myself, send us an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. And we will post full show notes at soulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise nicole rickley is with armanino and is involved in organizational change management and their practice at the armanino firm and uh nicole i wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the key metrics that you might use when trying to understand how things are going in a project from a change management perspective. So what, 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 what is it that you look at? That is like one of the hardest questions you could have asked me. Um, I'm kidding. So it, it really depends. Um, you know, first of all, it goes back to, you don't want to track what's not part of your vision. And so if, you know, your change vision and your goals um, aren't set, then you're tracking for, for what? what? What's the purpose, right? So you kind of have to set up what you want to see as, as a successful change initiative, like describe where you want people to be at at the end. Um, and then, then it requires also what do, the, what do the organizations even have in place to be able to track it? And sometimes it's so unsophisticated there's not a whole lot you can do from a KPI standpoint. And so you kind of have to, it's, um, it's very customized to the person, but you, you know, some people they're like, well, we want, you know, people to be engaged and, and we want people to adopt and we want people to. And so then I have to break it down and say, okay, what does engagement mean to you? Right. It, engagement is different depending on, 
um, the person or the organization. So you can't track it unless you know it. So what's the engagement mean? And then we have to define, well, what, what actions or triggers within the process or the project or even the system are going to, are going to trigger that says, Hey, this person is engaged. Like where are you, where are you going to get that, that touch point? Um, and who's going to track it? And so sometimes it could actually be very, very sophisticated where you want to track their engagement. You want to track their proficiency, which is another one where it's some people want to track that, but then I have to say, okay, but what does proficiency mean? And do you have somebody that can actually target and write up, this is what proficiency looks like um, as we go live. If they can, great, we're going to track it. Um, and then it's a matter of, okay, so if you end up with 50% um, don't make that proficiency mark, what is your next step? Um, so they have to think through those things. It's like you don't want to track things that you can't take action on, even if it's a valid KPI. If you don't have the ability to, to act on it and support it, then you don't want to track it. Um, that might sound weird, but it's just something. But if you're, if you're only able to track your people, then you want to kind of evaluate how they're handling it, how they're feeling. And so you want to kind of get people and say, what's the baseline, you know, kind of get a touch point of saying, you know, where is everybody at right now? And, you know, do some, some analysis on that and then kind of survey them throughout the process, observe them throughout the process. And you want to hope that you see an upward trend in how they're engaging in the process, how they're showing up to, meetings and participating. Um, and it could be as simple as tracking their tasks, right? Are they actually um, working through their tasks in a timely manner or are they constantly behind? That's a good, you know, that's a way that you can measure um, their engagement in the process. Um, yeah. But it's, on time. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. It's, it's really, you know, it, in short, it's really that um, you can come in to clients with some best practice and some things that would be great um, to add to their KPI dashboard, but they really have to have the system and the people in place to be able to do it effectively. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely on-time performance of tasks is a is a great one. That's something that that we've talked about on on our actually our execution management execution show way way back a long time ago, Ron. But um, the 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 other one, and I just want to throw this out there, Nicole, get your your feeling on it. But but what I asked, I asked everyone who was involved in the project, from the executive sponsor on down to anyone who is having the smallest uh, role in 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 the engagement to to send me a one two three four five or six in the subject line of an email every friday and so and and but but i called it the confidence level indicator and it was their level of agreement with the following statement i feel i am confident that this project will succeed simple as that yeah. and then one what then one through six and I, I i put it in the communications plan that they were to send that to me every friday by noon and I just dropped it into a spreadsheet and <laughs> tracked track it that way. Now, and what I found was, you know, that that whole curve that you're talking about, that that confidence level in the in the system where you get to the valley valley of despair, that that happened on just about every single one. Now, it looked more like the stock market, you know, it was kind of up and down, <laughs> jagged. It wasn't this really smooth curve. 
But what I was able to do is, is when I saw a precipitous drop from one week to the next, there was usually something that I was able to do on Monday morning to at least turn things around a little bit because they, it, it was clear every week if something big happened, there, there was a huge drop. So I, I just used that, that basic confidence indicator by just using that, that basic statement. Yeah, that's a great tool. And that's actually one of the questions that I have. And it's a survey, um, but they, I mean, similar to what you're saying. And it has a few other questions, um, but there's that confidence level um, in the organization. But then I have one where it asks their, their uh, confidence level in their own abilities. Um, because if they, if they tell me that they're not confident in themselves, to me, especially if I get it, it timely, um, I know that we need to support them with additional training. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you definitely, whatever your KPIs are, you want somebody who's closely aligned to getting that data um, often and looking at where the data is coming from. What, what are the, the things that are triggering those responses and how do you manage that so that the health of your project um, stays in a, in a pretty consistent pattern? Yep. Well, M Michelle, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll get, I'll get your name right. Don't worry. <laughs> um, Nicole, we've got one, we've got about two minutes left and I want to ask you a really tough question that you are only going to have 90 seconds to answer. So I apologize for giving you the, the short stick of this, but how do you deal with not just resistance, but sabotage? Oh, that's a good one. In 90 seconds or less. <laughs> how do I deal with sabotage? Um, again, I go through understanding that they don't, number one, I see them as people. They don't, they're not intentionally trying to, to hurt anybody. It's, it's their coping mechanism, right? And so it still means I have yet to meet or leadership has yet to meet a need. And so it's really spending time to get to know them. Um, not overtly obvious, but um, getting to know them, getting to know their team, team members and some history so that I can figure out where that, that behavior is coming from, what the, why they're wanting to. Because a lot of times it's because they want to control something or they're fearful of something. And if I can get to the bottom of why they're sabotaging, um, I can usually help leaders um, figure out ways to get that, that type of behavior to stop. Okay, and so it, it's by by you engaging with with the people themselves again, and then reporting back to leadership to 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 work those things through. Yes, yeah, because All if right. you escalate it and say, "Hey, this person is sabotaging," uh, leaders usually will want to go in with a heavy hand, um, but that doesn't help. It's almost like you you do have to go in and and see them as as a person and get kind of your counselor psychologist hat on um, and get to the root cause versus the talking about the problem, which is the sabotage itself. Sure. Well, okay, Nicole Ripley, organizational change pra management practice leader at Armino. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Soul of Enterprise. And Ron, what are we going to do next week now? We have no idea, Ed. So we're just going to play <laughs> it by ear. Uh, but Nicole, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. And thank uh, you yeah. both. So we'll figure it out, Ed, but I'll see you in 167 hours.
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, and we'll have a topic for you, trust me. And in the meantime, visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.